Metu Netter, Volume 3, The Key to Miracles, Chapter 2, Man, the Likeness of God, beginning on page 48. The Epitaph Pyramid Text of King Unaz, 2375 B.C. O Ausar Unaz, heaven has caused you to be a god of your foes in your name of God. Thou exists at the side of God after death. There is a tumult in heaven. We see something new, say the primal divine intelligences. He sits on the throne of the supreme being. Make salutations, you angels, Neturu. To the king to whom belong power on his divine throne. End quote. The brief selection from the text is nothing more than the recognition of King Unaz's realization of divinity and oneness with God. Let's recall that in the Book of Knowing, the transformations of Ra, the name given to the supreme being, is Ausaris. Hence, the spirituality realized, initiate, and commit is given the title Ausar. We will see in a future chapter how this is this is in substance and practice is the same as the title of Christ that is given to Jesus. Note that Ausaris is given to indicate the unmanifested aspect of God, while Ausar is God's self-dwelling in man. Hence, we have thousands of years before Christianity, the positioning of the manifested aspect of God equated with Jesus Christ being the same as the unmanifested aspect equated with the Father, that the Father and the Son are one, dogged Christianity for centuries, yet thousands of years before that, in Kemet, it was a common understanding. The Epitaph Pyramid Text of King Pepi 1, 2332 B.C., quote, This Pepi is God, the Son of God. He cometh forth and raiseth him of to himself to heaven. This Ramiri, another name of King Pepi, is the son of Ra, Holy Spirit. Ra, the Holy Spirit, has sent forth this Ramiri. This King Pepi is the word of power, which is the body of Ra. Take note of the parallelisms to Christianity's epithis of Jesus Christ, thou hast received the attributes of God, end quote. There are but a few of the statements made in the epithets of the initiates for which the pyramid texts were inscribed in their pyramids or tombs. The epitaphs are composed of hundreds of verses describing the initiates, realization of their divinity and the powers and divine prerogatives that awaited them in their afterlife. Egyptologists give contradictory explanations of these statements. On one hand, they claim that these are magical spells to be recited on behalf of the deceased kings to gain them acceptance into heaven. On the other hand, they claim that the kings were worshipped when alive as gods. The explanation is a simple one. First, the kings, with the exception of King Amenhotep, were never worshipped. The Kamau simply demanded that they must be governed 
by a person who had cultivated the highest spiritual qualities possible. They used God's attributes as the measure of man in conformity with their notion that man was made in the likeness of God. To settle for anything less would be suicidal and downright stupid once the true nature of man is known. Compare this to the standards that have allowed the types of leaders that have governed others. We find nowhere in the biographies of comedic kings and queens, mothers and the kings of vicious, tyrannical, sexually predatory, levicious, psychopathic, sociopathic, and such behavior that we have seen amongst the rulers of other civilizations. Although the pyramid scriptures were written to utilize the eulogize the initiate's divinity, efforts were made toward such realization had to be made during life. Eulogies for the dead then were no different than they are today. At a funerary ceremony, we simply recall the way that the person lived his or her life, since it was universally understood that the true destiny of man was to reunite him or herself with God. And therefore, the main endeavors in life revolve around the objective. Then how that was lived had to be the theme of the epitaphs and eulogies to be to the deceased. The initiation that assisted in the realization of divinity was not limited to kings. We find in the tomb of Queen Nefertari, wife of Ramesses II, the following, quote, the lady of Upper and Lower Egypt, the Ausar, the great royal wife, end quote. The same statement was made of Queen Ames Nefertari, who played a pivotal role in the liberation of Egypt from the rule of Hykos. In fact, it was said of all the Egyptian queens which information had been suppressed by Egyptologists who are for the most part males from cultures that have a problem recognizing women's potential humanity and spiritual achievements. To further their conspiracy to degrade the comedic civilizations, Egyptologists have put forth the lie that the divinization of man was first limited to the kings and later socialized to include others. The fact that the oldest writings to come down to us are those of the kings had to do with a number of fundamental dynamics. Only such documents that were inscribed in stone and secured from the elements and vandals in such places as the insides of pyramids, chapels, temples, etc. would have survived decay, vandalism, and theft to the present. Who else but kings could command the resources for such enterprises? It is only when, in latter times, when the nation became more prosperous and more advanced technologically, that higher spiritual education and the means of preserving their epithets were that we learned about the realization of divinity amongst non-royals. Thus, we have scriptures surviving the funerary steels and papyrus that were written over a thousand years later. These epithets for the deceased that proclaim their attainment of divinity have been called by Egyptologists the coffin text. 
the Egyptian Book of the Dead by Arab grave robbers and the Book of Coming Forth by Day by Egyptologists were later we will later see the inappropriateness of this title as well as the Book of Gates, the Book of Breathing, and other minor text. The Coffin Text, 2200 BC. The technological advances and increased wealth distributed distribution led to the practice of the inscriptions of the epitaphs and the walls of the coffins of well-to-do non-royals. The contents of these epitaphs were are the same as in the pyramid text in regards to the initiate's identification with God, but with a minor difference. In them, we find that the initiates of this period or level of initi initiation were heavily concerned with ritual techniques that aimed at securing protection from and victory over negative psychic forces. Yet the source of the effectiveness of the rituals was the self-image of the initiate as the divine being and her or his freedom from sin. Thus we read the coffin text of Emma. Quote, o Alsar Emma, raise yourself to be the vindicated against your enemies. O Alsar Emma, you have seized the sky and inherited the earth. Who then can take away the sky from you? From this young God, the perfect culture. Emma's vindication against his enemies refers to his having been found free of sin at the judgment. Freedom from sin is the requirement to become an Alsar, and only as Alsar, a God-man, was he able to, quote, seize the sky and inherit the earth. The Pert M. Rue, 1570 B.C. The central theme of these epitaphs is the person, person's realization of divinity becoming an Alsar through having destroyed sin in their persons. The deceased had to go through a trial in which his or her conscience would bear testimony to the moral quality of life. We will detail this later. If the person was found to be in compliance with divine law, i.e. to be Ma Karu, then he, she was acknowledged to be an Alsar, a God, woman, man. Divinity was the potential of every man and woman. Thus, we have many copies of the Pert M. Rue eulogizing the divination of Egyptians from all walks of life. To understand the purpose of these epithets, we must understand the plan of the presentation. The deceased undergoes a trial in which he or she has to confess to not having violated the laws of God and the ethical and moral rules of society, of course, when alive. Common sense will tell us that such freedom from sin must be accounted from a specific point in life. Given that the ignorance that prevails in the early part of every person's life induces us all to sin, this period is marked with the beginning of the person's spiritual initiation. Christians do the same. They mark a point in the life of the person and declare him or her to be born again. As it is today, not everyone was able to partake in the comedic program of higher spiritual education for various reasons, spiritual immaturity, intellectual defect, economic condition, lack of education, etc. But it was open to all who could meet the requirements. 
If the deceased passed the test called the weighing of the heart and the of words, then he, she could be received in the spirit world as a God, man, woman with the full prerogatives of the supreme being. The knowledge that would go into the realization of one's divinity could preclude one from acting contrarily or independently from God. As a God, woman, man, one would act in unity with God, not just to be in harmony with God, but to supplement one's limited presence, knowledge, and power with God's omniescence, omnipresence, and omnipotence. The self then lives eternally in the higher or divine spirit, the Ba. If the deceased failed the test, his or her self, the consciousness, will, will be subjected to purification through suffering and the part of the soul that records the earthly experiences is destroyed as it is no more than a bundle of ill-programmed behavioral responses, a useless thing. The judgment in which the deceased had to declare his or her freedom from sin to his or her conscience was the afterlife counterpart to initiation practices in life. The declaration of purity was the oath that certain grades of priests had to take as a requirement for the entering service. Ultimately, you will get the opportunity to experience for yourself the spiritual and psychic power that is generated following the achievement of moral purity. The best copy, and hence to be celebrated copy of the Pert Amru, is the one made for Ani, a scribe, a non-royal. The oldest copy of the Pert Amru was written on the burial shroud of Queen Amosis, 17th dynasty. It was also written on the shroud of Tutmosis, thought Moses, Tehudi Mesh, the third. It is now preserved in the Turin Museum, Italy. Each copy of the Pert M. Heru inserts the name of its owner in the place where the deceased is referenced as it is in epitaph. Each copy of the Pert M. Heru inserts the name of its owner in the place where he, the deceased is referenced as it is in epitaph. Throughout Ani's Pert M. Ru, Ani is identified with Ausar, the manifestation of God in man. Quote, Tehuti announces, the heart of the Ausar, the scribe Anani, has in very truth been weighed, and his soul has stood as a witness for him, and it has been found true by the trial of the great balance. There hath not been found any wickedness in him. He hath not wasted the offerings in the temples. He hath not done any harm by his deeds. He hath not uttered any evil reports with whist he was upon earth, whilst he was upon earth. The archangels of the Pout Neteru, tree of life, then say in reply to Tehuti that which, quote, that which cometh forth from his mouth is declared true. 
Ausar, the scribe Ani, Ma Karu, speaker of truths, is holy and righteous. He hath not sinned, neither hath he done evil against us. End quote. The original copy of this document is in the British Museum BM catalog number 10470. Quote, Behold Ausar, the scribe of the holy offerings of the archangels, Neturu Ani. End quote. Quote, O ye who make to enter perfected souls into the house of Arsar, may ye make to enter the perfected soul of Ausar, the scribed Ani, true of word, with you into the house of Ausar. End quote. Saith Ausar, scribed Ani, after he hath arrived in port, being glorious in what had, hath been done upon earth. I am Temu in rising up. I am the only one. I came into existence in new. I am Ra. Who then is he? End quote. He is a mere scribe whose career is in accounting. Quote, scribe of the holy offerings. Being referred to as an outsider, the equivalent of a Christ. Why? Anani was an initiate, i.e. a participant in higher religious education, which allowed him to destroy sin within himself. At the judgment after his death, as it occurred many times when alive, his conscience asserted that he had not violated any of the laws of God and the ethical and moral rules of the nation. Thus, he has actualized the divine potential within the outside. He became a God on earth and in the, and in the quote, other world. The text goes on to question the infinite form, Ani, by making him say, I am Temu, the unmanifested aspect of God's consciousness, and that he is, quote, the only one, and that he, quote, came into existence and knew that he is, quote, Ra, the Holy Spirit, and therefore, quote, who then is he? This who that is not identified with anything is a device used in many spiritual traditions to denote the infinity of the supreme being. It is used to the exact manner of God's essence. The, the Ain Sof among the Kabbalists, E He Hain, I am that I am, bears the same import. Throughout the comedic history, it is used for God and the God-realized men and women. These statements are repeated in the epitaphs Pert M. Ru of many non-royals and royals. The Turin Museum preserves the epitaph Pert M. Ru of Princes Ah Moses, daughter of Segun and Ra, and another non-royal lady of the same name. In the British Museum, it is to be found that the epitaphs of Scribe Hunifer, Superintendent of Cattle, Catalog Number 9901, Pennant of Nubian Official, and Nesiku, Status Unknown but a Commoner. In the Lover Museum in Paris is found the epitaphs of the priest Tahoe, Cat catalog number 3079 Har catalog number 3082 Kahep a man during the Potomac 
Greek reign in the tomb of Senefer, mayor of the Thebes under Amenhotep II. The high officials, Nebqued, a woman named Nedjemet, during the third intermediate period, the scribe User Hatmes of the 10th century BC, the royal complex of the Kushite king Tarko, and a man named Nespaseth. Not everyone could afford to have the scribes prepare the Pert Amru epitaph for them. This was an expensive item. Besides, it had to be placed in the air-tight container to preserve it from weather decay and termites. Those of lesser means settled for excerpts from the Pert Amru inscribed on their funerary steels. The message was essentially the same. In some of these steels, we find the deceased referred to as the Ausar, as in the case of case with Sempu, who lived around the 12th dynasty. Anherit Hatep speaks of his justification, i.e. his successful judgment. I have given a few thousand of examples known to Egyptologists and museum curators. It must be understood that whatever has survived of these records, they represent a fraction. Most papyri in records on wooden steel did not survive decay in the termites. Many records were reused, their original content erased and rewritten for a new owner. It was a thriving, lucrative business for the capitalists of the day. And here ends the reading at the top of page 60.